0: To across the movie aisle presented by bulwark plus i am your host Sonny bunch culture editor of the bulwark i'm joined as always by Alyssa rosenberg of the washington post and peter Suderman of reason magazine Alyssa, peter how are you today
1: i'm dandy how are you
0: i'm glad to be talking about movies with friends
1: it is the end of
0: the year let me tell you guys how i have spent the last two to three weeks i've been watching movies that have been sent to the critics association so they can be included on top ten lists at the end of the year Uh, it is by far the most taxing and grueling part of being a film critic, uh, a widely respected, Rotten Tomato certified film critic like myself. Uh, you have to watch movies. You have to watch a lot of them. And this year I actually made a rule to myself. I was not going to watch anything that, uh, was coming out in the new year, deep into the new year, like February. They've got movies that are coming out in February now that people are including on their 2020 year end lists, like Nomadland and Minari. I'm not, not including any of those. Uh, this year um, but it's been a weird year it's been a weird year I I, I, I feel like you know this this podcast has debuted at a relatively auspicious moment in our uh, viewing history uh, as a as a group of people. Um, and so I, I thought it would be interesting to take a look back at the year and controversies and non controversies uh, and figure out what, what we thought the best stuff of the year was. And I don't want to limit this to movies. Uh, I think we can include TV. If you want to include a video game in there, we can do that too, uh, Peter. That's mostly for Peter. That's entirely for Peter. because Alyssa is Big allowed hard.
2: to include video games. Big I hard. assume... Uh, there's going to be an entry for Alyssa's got a big
0: gaming rig at home. All right. (laughs) 2077. uh, All right, uh, Alyssa, why don't you go first? What was your third? What was your number three? Let's go three, two, one on this one. OK. What was your Um, third favorite thing of the year?
1: So I want to caveat that I am constitutionally allergic to lists, and one of the great things about being an opinion columnist and opposed to a critic is that I am exempt from the constitutional requirement to release said lists. but number three on my list is the movie that I think I was most surprised that I love this year, which was uh, Lee Wannell's The Invisible Man, um, which stars sort of recasts the classic horror story as a tale of intimate partner violence, um, starring Elizabeth Moss as a woman who is being stalked and abused by her um, controlling ex who, um, as part of his abuse, is driving her crazy. Uh, Or, sorry, it's making everyone think that she's crazy because he's doing it while wearing a sophisticated high-tech suit that makes him invisible. Um, And I, as listeners of this podcast know, really hate horror movies. Um, I do not like being scared. I have um, really serious nightmares that are unpleasant. Um, But I have thought about this movie all of the time um, this year. Um, Not just because Moss is great in it, which she is, but because it is so good at sort of making you scared in little ways. There is a scene relatively early in the movie after Moss's character has gotten away from her ex, uh, when she thinks she hears something goes outside on a cold night and you see her breath in the air. And then you see another puff of breath in the air next to her where it appears that no one is The kicker in the trailer. Yeah. And it's just, it's an image that has stuck with me all year. It's just a really good, subtle piece of filmmaking. Um, From a movie that overall just I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it and how much it stuck with me. Um, It's really lingered.
0: Peter, you you liked
2: Invisible Man as well, right? I did. I quite liked it. It didn't quite make my my list here, which is not. I think we're supposed to be doing like a top three here. And I realized. Top three. I realized I can't do a top three, even though you? I suggested.
0: You made us do the top, top three. three. You you said we had to go from five to three for time okay. constraint reasons. So so let's do let's.
2: Uh, are we gonna do? Uh, we're we're just going around Robin here to do three, just to do the uh, third place. Uh yeah, third. Okay. My third, third place is Palm Springs. Um, it's an exceptionally well executed, uh, uh variation. On the Groundhog Day formula that I think leans into some of the kind of existential angst and angst and despair that was present in Groundhog Day, but that wasn't fully explored just because Bill Murray kind of embodies it and Palm Springs just makes it the text. That if you had to live that same day over and over, and you had no choice, and you could never get out of it, there's something deeply weird and sort of existentially terrifying about that. But also lends itself to some real interesting comic possibilities. It is, I think, um, even though it's the my third place film, I think it is the best executed movie. Uh, or at least the most perfectly executed movie I think I've seen all year. Just almost flawless in terms of the way that it actually goes about taking its concept and moving it through the beats. Um, every other movie on my list, I think, has bigger flaws and sort of... Uh, it, 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 the other movies are in some ways more ambitious, um, but they're things that where it's like it, they don't always quite live up to their ambi- ambitions. Palm Springs is exactly what you want it to be.
0: Uh, my number three movie of the year is Fat Man. Uh, the movie in which, or number three movie slash TV show of the year is Fat Uh, that's the, of course, the movie in which uh, Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus, uh, and he is hunted by Hitman, played by Walton Goggins, uh, at the behest of a spoiled kid who gets a lump of coal for Christmas. Um, I really like it because it has a terribly weird concept and it just leans into it with a total straight face. Like, there's no, there's no winking at the camera in this. It is very much like, all right, what if Santa was an immortal Wolverine-like uh, figure who lives in the great white North and is contracted by the United States to deliver presents around the world in order to increase the global economy by trillions of dollars every year. I mean that's like it, it and it's just like, all right well let's let's do that and let's do it let's do it for real um so I quite enjoyed that it's it it, it sounds absurd, um but it's actually kind of weirdly elegiac and uh almost sad i mean the 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 heart of this movie is. Uh, Santa, Chris, Chris Kringle, Mel Gibson, um, is depressed because he has learned that he cannot actually improve the world with what he does. He, he cannot actually become the shaper of men that he wants to be. Um, and so what does, what, does, what does he do with his life in, in that instance? Uh, you know, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of interesting. Um, so I, I strongly recommend it. It's on VOD now. I think it comes out on Blu-ray in a couple of weeks. You can get it on Amazon. Check it out. Sip Batman. Uh, Alyssa, what's your number two? Option?
1: Uh, continuing my, uh, my strategy of just cheating here. Um, I would say tied for me are sound of metal and on the rocks, um, which are two movies that are sort of surprisingly profoundly decent, uh, even though they're radically different movies. Um, sound of metal is a great movie we discussed here recently about a heavy metal drummer who finds that he is going deaf and, um, tries to navigate whether he wants to join an exclusively deaf community or try to recover both his musical career and his romantic relationships by getting cochlear implants. Um, and it's just, it's a movie where even though people profoundly disagree, they're really kind to each other. It's beautifully shot. Um, it's surprising in its sort of tenderness and kindness. Um, and it's anchored by a couple of just awesome performances from Paul Ratchi and Riz Ahmed. Um, and then On the Rocks is, as I said, radically different. Um, Sofia Coppola's movie about a uh, writer's blocked writer and mom whose sort of father, uh, Bill Murray, shows back up in her life and basically encourages her to consider that her husband might be cheating on her and to tail him around the city and ultimately around the world. Um, and it's, again, a movie that ends in... A sort of surprisingly kind way. It affirms that you're often just better off talking to each other um, than uh, stewing in suspicion. Um, And that often people are better than you expect them to be. But again, it's just sort of, it's lovely. It makes New York look great. Um, It really makes me want to go drink a bunch of martinis and eat an ice cream sundae somewhere. Um, And it felt a little bit like a promise that the world will be there for us when we come back.
0: It really did. I can't remember if we talked about this sh- on the show or not. I, I, I can never keep track of what podcast I'm doing on any given day, let alone what I did th- three weeks ago. But it, it really felt like a uh, it almost felt like a travelogue movie, like a, a journey into the past, into a weird uh, and strange land where people just walked around and like went to restaurants and didn't wear masks everywhere. It was great.
1: And, uh, like, Peter... and drove like great cars and wore great clothes. And, you know, it's just, yeah. And weren't trapped in their houses. Yeah, so. uh,
0: Peter, what's your number two?
2: I think was the uh, Five Bloods by Spike Lee. Uh, it's a great tale of male friendship and bonding of aging, what it takes to weather the storms of life. Uh, I think it includes my single favorite performance of the year, uh, which is Delroy Lindo's character, who plays a kind of difficult Trump-supporting dad who's been having a rough time. And he makes some very bad decisions. And the movie kind of wrestles with what it means to be good and to live well um, and to stay friends even with people who uh, who have taken turns in their lives that um, you can't necessarily support, you know, but you still sort of... Uh, you still love the person. And there's this kind of real empathetic, emotional core to the movie. I think it makes some mistakes, especially in the third act. Um, most of those are, in some ways, I almost want to say, they're not really Spike Lee's fault. I mean, they kind of are. They're more Oliver Stone's fault because they're all things that are like from a bad Oliver Stone movie. And it was a, the movie was originally developed by Oliver Stone. You can totally tell. Um, but all, this, all of the kind of Spike Lee-isms that are in the film are great. And it's just... It's a really touching film about about male friendship and about time and age. Uh, and it's the kind of movie that I really miss seeing uh, more of. Um, it was also a very welcome film when it came out in June when there weren't a lot of things that you could see and when I was really just looking for something that I could latch onto and could enjoy.
0: Uh, my number two choice is The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is a very slightly weird a uh, horror comedy hybrid uh, by a director named by, by the name of Jim Cummings. He uh, also made Thunder Road, which I watched immediately after watching The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um, that that movie, uh, both of these movies actually are about kind of small town cops and the weirdness of being a small town cop. Which you know you think right, well right now everyone hates cops, so that's that's kind of weird and awkward, but it it works it works kind of perfectly well, and I think it is both. Uh, It is both kind of empathetic with like the insanity of being a small town cop while also acknowledging that like a lot of these guys aren't necessarily suited to be cops. Um, But anyway, the, the Wolf of Snow Hollow is really, it's like, uh, it, this, is, this is how I described it in my review. It's it's a too dark for laughs comedy and a scary but not quite terrifying horror film that's all wrapped around a family drama uh, and a portrait of a man in the midst of an absolute mental breakdown. Um, it, it, it is 100% a movie that I think is going to alienate a lot of folks who watch it, but I was pleasantly surprised when I recommended this on my year-end list how many people watched it and enjoyed it. So maybe, maybe it's not quite as a, uh, alienating as I thought it might be. Uh, Alyssa, what is your number one product of the year? Um, Piece of content, hashtag content.
1: (laughs) Uh, um, I, in a three way tie, I would say um, the common.
0: You've picked like six things now. If you, have, yeah. you, can't have, you can't have a three-way tie for first and then have three other things on the list. That's just the top three.
1: Sorry. Um, it's the combination of Defy Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Mangrove, the first of Steve McQueen's Small Axe uh, sort of films, TV shows, whatever it is. But um, having these three sort of like these three movies that are full of great performances by black actors, some of whom are familiar to American audiences. Some like Sean Parks, who plays the main character in Mangrove are not Um, just spending most of these movies, talking to each other, arguing with each other um, and putting not just sort of the full diversity of black life in America and in the UK on screen, but putting the disagreements, philosophical disputes, different worldviews on screen in a year um, when you know, people were, it, it political conversations this year in America, especially, um, often acted on the assumption that all black Americans agree with each other about things. And to have these movies just quietly pushing back on that and saying, like, here's the diversity of opinion and life experience. Here is the variety of acting talent that is available. Um, all in just three terrifically acted, interestingly shot well written movies. Um I thought was both an artistic and political tonic. Um I'm really glad all three of them came out this year together.
0: Peter, what's your number one? Oh yeah, so I have a tie for first place and two <laughs> honorable mentions. So that's again, that's not how any of
1: this works. <laughs> it is we, we don't we don't follow the rules here on a process. You're that's, not the
0: boss of us. This is why you guys will never never be, you know, uh, allowed into the critics groups we don't like we don't like monkeying around with lists it's the only, it's, it's what makes our it's what makes our life tick
2: mank and tenet i think are my two favorite feature films of the year uh both incredibly technically ambitious films by two of my favorite directors um i think both have flaws in some ways uh they're both are these
0: no to be clear are these the things that are tied for first or these are, are these the honorable mentions and then honorable
2: mentions um okay. just to keep this quick are two non-feature film products uh, one of which is devs the fx on hulu miniseries about um uh, about trying to figure out how to resurrect your dead children via a computer algorithm basically um but it's it's much darker, weirder, and more satisfying than that includes maybe my second favorite performance, which is Nick Offerman as like a weird tech zillionaire um, who is trying to imminentize the Eshtan. Um and then a video game, Last of Us Two, which is just an incredible narrative experience that that integrates video game action and in particular video game violence with the ideas and the story in a way that i've never seen before uh and is is just incredibly well written well acted uh as a game um and really does i mean in a lot of ways it reminded me of unforgiven except for video games and in the way that clint eastwood who spent the first couple decades of his career making movie making westerns about how violence in in on screen was was really kind of cool then went and made unforgiven a movie about how violence has real consequences and is kind of and is just dark and how we haven't really reckoned with it but also it was a great movie and super and get right it wasn't a movie that was designed to be off-putting or just to sort of leave a, a bad taste in your mouth it was a really great movie to watch um the last of us 2 works similarly in that it is both uh that it both accomplishes what it is Trying to like trying to do it as a video game while also critiquing the form and and embodies both at the same time So, you know, Mank and Tenet, I think are the the, my two favorite My my two favorite conventional features But I really liked last of us 2 and devs as well Just as sort of things that were on my screen that I spent a lot of time with
0: Uh number one is devs, uh for me as well, uh it, It is a again, it's it's on hulu. It's on fx. Everyone should uh, check it out. Um, but it 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 fits very nicely into the world of kind of middlebrow Alex Garland ideas, uh, movie slash TV. Uh, I I I I love the kind of idea of the multiverse as something that you can kind of game out on a massive computer system. Um, and well, I right up I, until the point
2: where you can't
0: well exactly till you till you reach that that moment of free will um uh, and 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 you know the 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 um format of it was perfect the the kind of uh, mini series as opposed to a feature film it needed to be a little longer it did not be, need to be a full on ongoing series uh i loved it i thought it was great everyone should see it uh yeah so that's it those are that's our list that's our list of three or in some cases like seven or ten or twenty movies of the year uh, slash tv a video game and a television show slash video games in my Uh, top three movies (laughs) <laughs> all right. I uh, If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy this top 10 list uh, and the controversy, not a controversy of of people eschewing the format that we chose beforehand, um, uh, and who doesn't? The show is great. Make sure to head over to atma.thebulwark.com, uh, where we'll have a bonus members only episode explaining why all the women in your life uh, are watching Bridgerton, the, the uh, Netflix romance period drama. Alyssa has has thoughts on this. We're going to we're going to break that down in the bonus episode. Um but until then, let's talk about Wonder Woman 1984. Uh that is a movie that is out now in theaters uh, and and on, on TV screens. Here's what is, uh, so we'll get to the actual movie here in a second, um, but I want to I lay a little bit of groundwork here. The movie grows $16 million or so uh, in theaters, which in a normal Christmas weekend would be a disaster. But as far as we can tell it, I think it's actually the best three-day weekend uh, just about that a movie has had in the uh, post-COVID, post-shutdown, pre-vaccination era. Um, it uh it it, it uh, HBO tells us that it has shattered all sorts of records in terms of the number of people who have watched it and the the hours viewed and all that. And they have managed to tell us all these things without actually telling us any numbers, which is always very tricky and uh uh I would say slightly slimy. Um, but we'll get to that in a moment. What about the movie itself? The movie itself, I think is kind of a disaster. I mean, just in terms of the actual pacing of the thing. Let's leave aside the the plot, which seems entirely to be built around the idea that somebody at Warner Brothers was like, all right, we need to bring Chris Pine back. How do we bring Chris Pine back for a lot of this movie? Um, And instead focus on the actual, just like beat by beat uh, uh, structure of the thing. Um, The the movie opens with two, uh, essentially two opening action sequences back to back. The first takes place on, Paradise Island, or Themyscira, or whatever we whatever we want to call uh, uh, Wonder Woman's homeland, and it's basically the Olympics, the Amazon Olympics, and there, you know, Diana learns a very important lesson about being honest, and that's what it. Blah blah whatever. Um, and then there's a second action set piece that takes place uh, in in 1984, uh, I think, at the Landmark Mall um, in in Virginia, uh, where. The, uh she stops a, a, a jewel heist, and it's, you know, very uh, 1984. Everyone's wearing 1984 clothes, and little girls are saying, wow, look at this great hero that we have here now. Um, and then there's nothing for like an hour. There's just a lot of talking, and uh, Steve, Steve Trevor comes back, and uh, there's some more talking, and then there's another action beat. And here's here's they go to, point. They go to museums. Here's, here's, they go to museums. They walk around Georgetown uh at night um they go they walk along the uh the Potomac River uh we see the Watergate um uh and and other apartment complexes in Washington DC here's here's again here's my point um this this film is just terribly Structured like it, it has these two action beats and then nothing for an hour and I understand that not every action film has to be kind of uh, uh, built the same way but this is this is a comic book movie um, and when you have a comic book movie there are certain Things that you should probably do to make sure it is a successful comic book movie. Um, I uh, I liked Kristen Wig. I liked Pedro Pascal. I liked Chris Pine I liked Gal Gadot. I kind of I liked all of the performances in this movie. Um and none of it works. I don't know I don't know how else to describe it. It just none of it none of it actually works. And again, I think the the real the real serious problem is you you they they have negated what was actually good about the first film, the sacrifice of uh, Steve Trevor and the the um and and the kind of lesson that teaches uh, uh, Wonder Woman about humans and about humanity, and they have totally negated it for what is essentially a nostalgia throwback, uh, hour-long buddy romance comedy, almost. It's not even a rom-com. It's like a buddy comedy. It's like a... there. It just it doesn't work. It makes me angry uh, in a very real way, because I wanted this movie to be good. I don't know. What did you guys think? Alyssa, what, what did you make of Wonder Woman 1984?
1: I think it has a classic two villains problem, um, in that there is a good movie that is about like Diana Prince and Barbara Minerva and the fact that like even super women can't have it all. Um, and then there is a movie about like, you know, uh, Max Lord's like crippling insecurities and in his relationship with his kid. And like Diana helping him figure out like what it actually means to be a good father. And they've kind of clutched the two of them together. But the result is that the damn thing is too long. Um, requires an enormous amount of exposition um, and just never comes together in an interesting way at all. Um, and it's just a bummer, you know, <laughs> um, I too wanted to like this. I like all of the performances. I think there's like some, like the invisible jet flying through the fireworks on 4th of July is a beautiful movie image and takes advantage of the capacity pine and Gadat have for expressing sort of wonder and delight in each other in a really lovely way and yet the movie just doesn't come together at all and it's a bummer um I,
0: i mean look i i think i think you're right that it has the two villain problem but really what it has is a it it has a two sidekick problem because what you could have had was was uh, Barbara Minerva, the Kristen Wiig character, essentially... Filling in the Steve Trevor role, being the sidekick, being the person who accompanies Wonder Woman as she goes around the world and tries to figure out what is going on. Um, and and you could still have her like turn you know evil and want want you know not or, want or to you, have to renounce you, her wish. Or you oh, can we can we actually just talk about the actual plot mechanics here, which are dumb. <laughs> like the the whole the whole point of this the whole the whole way this movie works, right? Is that uh, they found they find a rock that grants wishes. And then Pedro Pascal's like, "I want everyone to have wishes and then I will take what they they have." Except they never actually really explain how this works. Sometimes yeah. he takes things from people, sometimes he doesn't. Uh, you know, he he the the whole idea of the monkey's paw is like be careful what you wish for, right? And this is referenced several times this monkey's paw idea. Except like some people don't lose anything when they make the wish some people do some people uh like have the thing taken I think it's from like them by a maxwell company, lord card.
2: so so the whole thing is he wishes to become the rock right the wishing <laughs> rock and it's it's not it's the good just rock. that dumb um, and then he's the rock. And so when people touch him and wish for things, they get their wish. But there's right. always a but there is a potential cost. Right. But there's a potential say, cost. Right? So, there, but, again, but it's not an always cost. It's a potential it's, cost. I think it's like giving a company your credit card and just saying you can charge me if you want. And he can kind of charge them a cost for their wish. Like uh, he can be he can make it be a monkey's paw wish if he wants, or it can just be a normal wish with no cost make to any it. Sense. Um, can I
1: also just say that first, it's good that they use the monkey's paw as a reference since the original short story was published in such a time that Steve Trevor would actually know what the reference is. But two, if you've actually read the monkey's paw, the point is not that like you get your wish and then you pay for it some other way. It's that your wish is granted in a like sort of twisted, macabre way that makes you regret wishing in the first place so it's not even an appropriate analogy for what's happening
2: yeah (sighs) i really wish there had been more superhero movies this year oh
1: oh yes right it's
2: exactly yeah um i i uh as i was watching this i didn't love it i didn't exactly hate it either and i just i could only think about index funds and the whole thing about index funds is that they are they're designed to be like risk free products that simply play the market. And they like they they, well, a, a they well-designed right, a well-designed index fund gives you the returns that the market gives you which is to say that you're never going to get or you you shouldn't be getting very like exceptionally high returns. But the goal is to never have the market beat you right So it's it's a it's a sort of a loss aversion kind of strategy. And that's what this movie is, it delivers the bare minimum kind of plays the market. um, And it's totally fine, right? It's and it and it also just doesn't deliver anything spectacular or particularly interesting. And in taking this strategy i think it ultimately just sort of like it kind of it undermines itself because when you play it this safe at every single level and when you just say we want to repeat The things that worked about the first film and that's so much of what they're doing here that hour of bumming around washington dc it's just a reversal of the fish out of water stuff from the first movie except steve trevor is the one who is now the fish out of water and it's not quite as funny um all they're doing is repeating the stuff from the first film all they're trying to do is just give you all the things that you liked about the first film again and give it to you in a very in a sort of conventionally wonder woman-y way it's like they it's like the story meeting wasn't what would be a good story to tell and a conflict for wonder woman to have the story meeting was tell me some some things you'd like to see wonder woman say and do what values does she embody let's figure out how to have some scenes in which she does that and then they wrote the scenes and then somebody slapped them together kind of in an order and then that's the movie that you get
0: (laughs) kind of in an order i i mean the other the other thing that is worth mentioning here is just how how much worse the action is in this movie compared to the first one um this movie this movie has nothing that is nearly it's but my, it's. I, I also it's, didn't it's, think
2: the action in the first movie was.
0: The amazing. first movie had it that was interesting. The, 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 at mo- times. the movie had that first had that last terrible scene where David Thewlis like turns into Ares. Like that was that was awful. Yeah. But it also had it also had two pretty solid action scenes, just in terms of how they were shot. And how they were how they were put together the initial assault on the beach uh, on Paris Island yeah it's pretty good or on on Paradise Island and the uh, and the No Man's Land sequence the No Man's Land sequence which is just like a really fantastic use of Wonder Woman learning her powers uh, as she like goes through that that fight I mean it just very very well done um, and there's nothing in this film that's even even close to that the I mean the only
2: truck chase is designed to call back to the
0: It Um, it looks like, yeah, but, sure, that's what, I mean, I I understand what it's designed to do, but what it actually does is look terrible and cheap and looks like it was shot on a green screen, like, in weird, I mean, it looked, I think Dave Weigel described it as a PS3 cutscene, which feels about right. Uh, Like, it just doesn't. It doesn't. L- There's no weight to it. There's no weight to anything. I mean the the whole uh, the whole Amazon Olympics thing where they're jumping from thing to thing. It's just like these these people look airless. They look weightless. They look airy and and like it is not like it's not. It it's like weirdly un-Amazonian actually. Yeah. It was like it was it was too live. It was not. Uh, there was no there was no strength to it. It was just you know. Anyway, I, there's every I, everything about this movie is a disaster. But there is there is a second thing to talk about with the the film, which is the actual release strategy, which uh, as best as I can tell was actually a magnificent success for HBO Max and Warner Brothers and AT&T, right? I mean, we don't have any numbers, but I will say this. Everybody I saw uh, talking about movies this weekend was talking about Wonder Woman yep. 1984. Everyone was talking about either going to see it in a theater or more likely watching it on uh, watching it on HBO Max. This which was a couch-era blockbuster. And was, we're going to was... see many more. It was it was something that I I think it has created a like shared cultural moment that was somewhat rare uh, to have happened this year. Um, but it but it is it is also I think a a big hit. Right? Am I wrong here, Alyssa? What am I am I am I missing something?
1: I mean I think that's probably correct. Although again, usual caveat: we have no idea what counts as a big hit. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the first time since the pandemic really started that i feel like there has been sort of, i'm seeing you know a vigorous conversation about a movie positive negative you know there like there's an actual sort of clash of ideas about it there are people picking out sort of distinct choices to talk about in the plot um and i'm seeing that in sort of the political critic space as well as the regular one um and that feels good um i wish the movie itself felt better um And I think, you know, know, when you talk about the story meeting um, and sort of the idea of just sort of giving people what they want, I just really want a superhero movie that doesn't give me what it thinks I want, but that tries to surprise me or do sort of anything different at all. Um, And again, like. You know, my husband has this theory that the rise of the streaming, like the sort of couch-based streaming blockbuster might make superhero movies better, um, if only because it forces the budgets down some. And maybe if you have to make a 90-minute version of these movies or a version of one of these movies where, you know, the action is actually primarily performed by stunt people with some effects, you know, layered over the top or, you know, that is just that only has one villain that maybe you might get sort of a tighter, more focused story. Um and I don't, you know, I have no idea if that's going to happen, in part because this year has taught me that it's sort of a fool's errand to predict what um, the studios are going to do. But, you know, I I don't need to be pandered to. I'm not, you know, I'm not stupid. I enjoy being surprised. But lots of, of
2: people clearly do need to be pandered to. And that's how well, you I... get their, their, their tickets. You know, that's you know, how I you mean, get their I... money. Um, it's because they want, and so again, this is a little, I, I'll go back to the index fund it, analogy because the whole, a, a thing about the index fund is it's actually a, a pretty decent value in the sense that, you know, roughly what you're going to get and you're not going to get anything spectacular out of it but what it's not going to do is fail you in a spectacular way either and i think in a lot of ways what wonder woman 1984 it's both its it's problem and its virtue is that i don't th- i actually disagree with Sonny. i don't think this movie is a disaster it's just in no way exceptional it's it's remarkably unmemorable it kind of wa- uh, walks through its beats does exactly the thing that it's You know, sort of nominally intending to do Wonder Woman is there on screen being Wonder Woman-y. The people who like this movie most have nobody's said, oh, I love the story or the conflict. What they've said basically is I like the feeling of it. And what I really like is that Wonder Woman embodies a certain value. Right. Or set of values that I identify with. What,
0: what does she what do what what set of values does she Hope, uh, embody? Truth,
2: decency, goodness. I mean, it's a bunch of, you know, gauzy. It's nonsense. Kind of it's stuff, not. But, she doesn't
0: she doesn't embody anything. She she just does stuff. But at the it, end, like, she this,
2: convinces. Pedro oh, Pascal's at the end, she gives a big. She, at the end, she gives a big speech
0: about how we all need to give up our wishes, which is the most ridiculous. You, you you think that the uh that the people who are wishing for nukes to protect their countries are just gonna be like, oh wait, no more nukes. Sorry, we were wrong on that one, Sonny, um, I know you're uh, not gonna stop
2: wishing for more
0: nukes. I mean, I well, I mean, it was also it also it, like kind of humorously misunderstands uh the 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 Reagan's whole strategy on nuclear. Uh, uh, war, but, but I don't feel like that's a thing we need to really get into here. Um, I did find it very, I, I, I did find it very amusing. Uh, to have Gal Gadot take down a, uh, a, a tin pot dictator's uh, security forces in the Middle East. Um all while protecting a bunch of small children. That that had like a certain political valence and resonance that was that was very amusing to me and that has annoyed a certain segment of the lefty critics, which again also annoys, uh, which also amuses me and, and brings me happiness. See? I just wish the rest of the movie was good. I just wish the rest of the rest of the movie was actually good. I mean, Peter, you say it walks through the beats and hits, but it doesn't. It actually like goes out of its way to avoid hitting beats to the point where I saw people talking about how at the end of the movie, it was weird and interesting that it ends with a prayer for peace instead of a big fight. But that's not right. It ends with a big fight, the Kristen Wig fight. Yeah. And then it has this tacked on prayer prayer for peace that the Dark Knight did better. I mean, like this is like the, the this is the whole reason why the Dark Knight, the ending of the Dark Knight is good, is because it doesn't actually end with a fist fight with the Joker. It ends with essentially a philosophical debate between Batman and Two Face. If your argument is Gordon.
2: that the Dark Knight was a good movie, even and this a is very a good movie.
0: movie, and this one is a mediocre one, then I completely agree with you. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, what do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four? Alyssa?
1: I wish I had spent the weekend watching Sylvie's Love instead, since I suspect I'm going to like that more when I get to it. But it's a movie. Thumbs down, mildly.
2: Peter? Thumb exactly sideways. This is a movie that is designed to avoid being bad, but therefore cannot be good.
0: It's it's thumbs down because it's a movie that tries to avoid being bad, but is still bad uh, because it makes terrible choices. And again, somebody in the Warner Brothers Suites was like we need to get Chris Pine back. How do we get Chris Pine back? We need eighty minutes of Chris Pine. I mean, to be what, fair,
1: Chris Pine is the best of all the Chris's. Chris
0: Chris Pine is he's okay. He's fine. Uh, the but but like again, like there's even a way. I mean, I like even just like gaming this out of my head. There's a way to bring Chris Pine back for like five minutes in this movie. That's for like, the have, third one. Have, That's have what they're going to do. Be, in the third one, which has already him, been greenlit. Have him be the temptation that makes wonder woman be like wait should i make a wish should i should i in fact take this thing that i have not earned um and then he can be like an actual devil it would be great but no instead we get 80 minutes of no, him No but she has to pants. let him <laughs> go Instead we have 80 minutes of him in, instead of him, we have 80 minutes of like lazy uh uh what are those things fanny pack jokes i mean come <laughs> on a fanny pack joke we're better than I'm that people I'm laughing at the words fanny pack right now we're better than that. We are better than that. All right, that's it for today's show. Uh, no fanny packs here. If you loved it, make sure to check out our members-only bonus episode at Bulwark Plus. Make sure to tell your friends. A strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences, and if we don't grow, we'll die. If you didn't love today's episode, please complain to me on Twitter, at Suddy I will convince you that it is, in fact, the best show in your podcast feed again. See you guys next week.